by way of reminder, um, the Apostle Paul is writing, to, writing a letter to the church of Colossae, Colossians, Colossae. But remember, this letter was not only intended for that one church in Colossae. This was a letter that was meant to be circulated throughout the community, and one of those cities is Laodicea. And we learn later about the, the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. But it's important to be reminded of that, I think, that the Apostle Paul did not know these people. He had never met them face to face, and yet he loves them. He cares about them. He's writing them a letter, and um, much of the letter is in regards to warning them about some of the false teachings and and winds of doctrine that are blowing through the church um, that would destroy their faith, would wipe them out spiritually and Um, Remember, it was Epaphras was the one that came to meet the Apostle Paul. Where was Paul at, by the way? Paul was in prison where? In Rome. He's in chains. And the pastor, I think it's the pastor of the church, um, personally. It's my own personal opinion. He's the one that goes all the way 900 miles, travels to Paul, and shares with them. And he says, listen, Paul, there's this amazing work going on in the church. God is at work. The, 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 the people in the church, they're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. There's love. There's, there's hope. There's faith. I mean, God's doing amazing things in the church, and they're praising the Lord together. I mean, isn't that praiseworthy stuff when we're growing to be thankful for, to be grateful for God's work? And so no doubt they were rejoicing. But then Epaphras began to share with Paul the, 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 the part, the bad part, the bad, here's the, here's the good news. Here's the bad news, right? What do you want to hear first, Paul? The bad news is there's these false teachers and heretics that are coming to the church. And some of the stuff is starting to stick with some of the believers there, some of the nonsense, some of the garbage. And so the apostle Paul begins to, and he really doesn't address those things head on, but he reminds the church, he reminds us of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's important to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done, because he is glorious and what he's done is glorious for us as well. And I think it's interesting just to take note of, um, he's warning them here in chapter two. And when we're warned, do you think we should pay attention when there's a danger? I mean, think about it. You guys, we, do you guys have security in your house? We do, don't we? Do you guys lock your house or keep it open at night? You guys keep, what do you, what do you guys do, lock it up or keep it open? Does anybody keep everything open? Yep, I just keep everything open, Mike. You know, I don't care. We care, don't we? We don't want to get ripped off. Some of us have cameras, right? Some, some of you guys got the cool doorbell thing that has the, you guys, anybody have that? Do, what is it, ring or something like that? You can, you got cameras, doorbell, cool doorbell things. Some of you guys got alarm systems, right? Some of y'all got Right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are packing. Some of you got some, some of y'all have some big old mutts, right? You know what I'm talking about. In the in the physical realm, we protect ourselves and our stuff, don't we? I gotta protect my stuff, Mike. I gotta protect my family. But what about spirit what about spiritually? You know, do we take the same care in our lives? Spiritual care of protecting our walk with the Lord, of guarding our hearts and our minds. That's what Paul, Paul's concerned. He is, he's grieved over what's going on, and he's ensuring the church, hey, listen, I want you to be protected spiritually. In fact, we, where do we leave off last week? Like right around verse 9? Is that where we're? 2.10? I better go back to verse 8. It sets the context. Look, look what it says to me. Beware. Anytime you hear beware, right? Danger. Look out. Watch out. Beware lest anyone cheat you. And we talked about this last week. It cheat speaks, to, speaks about getting ripped off. It speaks of being held captive. Or in, in the Greek, the original, the, the word picture is an animal catching its prey and taking it in order to eat it. And Paul's saying, listen, I don't want you to be taken away like an animal and chewed up and, and wiped out. Beware lest anyone cheat you through what? What's the first thing? We talked about it last week. What does it say? Philosophy, man's views, man's opinions about, the, about life, about the world, where we came from, where men are going, what's life all about. 
It's, 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 it's thinking apart from the Lord, apart from his word. It's coming to conclusions about things apart from Jesus Christ and what's, what God says in his word. Philosophy, the love, love of wisdom is what it means, but it's, it's, again, it's secular love of wisdom, and it's apart from Jesus Christ. And notice what else it says there. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, and it says what? Empty deceit, right? Deception. Empty deception. According to what it comes down to is the tradition of men. Again, men's solutions to men's problems. Men's views on the world. These things pass down one generation after another. And it's at the exclusion of Jesus Christ. In fact, let's keep reading. It says, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Again, Jesus is left out. And Paul's trying to point them to, don't leave the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Because in him are hidden, didn't we learn this? In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Back in verse 3, in Jesus are hidden all, not some, not most, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't be looking for wisdom and knowledge apart from the Lord. Because it's all found in Jesus Christ. In fact, he goes on to say, for in him, look at verse 9, for in him, who's him? Jesus, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I would say verse 9 and 10, probably two of the most important verses in our Bibles. That's my own opinion. Notice what Paul's saying here, what God is communicating to us. In Jesus dwells, dwell means to reside, to live, to abide. All, how much is all? All the fullness Everything there is to God resides in Jesus Christ bodily. That's beautiful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Great is the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. God added humanity to his deity. And it's so glorious. Jesus is the one who came in the flesh, right? On a mission to rescue and to save us. He suffered and died on the cross bodily. He rose again bodily. He rules, he reigns forever and ever bodily as King of kings and Lord of lords. All the fullness dwells continually and permanently in Jesus Christ bodily. That's good news this morning, by the way. Because that word fullness, it's interesting, that word fullness, it was one of the buzzwords that the heretics and the false teachers used. They were saying, listen, to get to God, it takes a number of steps. If you want to be full, if you want to know the deeper things, you've got to follow these steps to get to God. You ever heard somebody say that, teach something like that? You, you, need, you need this book, you need these tapes, you need this, you need to go here, you need to go there. Listen, to get, God, to get to God is not a series of steps. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he came right into your heart and into your life. We learn that in chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Fullness speaks of being complete. It it's the, means the full package. Jesus is the full package. Sound good? Does that make sense? Because people were saying, you don't have it all when you got Jesus. But Paul reminds us, he's got everything. Everything's in Jesus. Everything there is to God, everything there is to the Godhead, the Trinity is in Jesus. He is lacking nothing. And guess what? Look at the next verse. Isn't this good? And you, who's that speaking of? Us. You are complete in him. Who's him? Jesus. You are complete in him. If you are complete, are you lacking anything? If you are complete, are you lacking anything this morning? No, if you've got a full grill, full set of teeth, are you missing any teeth? No. You've got the full set, right? You're good? <laughs> it's not you are complete in him plus these other things you need to do or these other things you need to add. It's not you're sort of complete in Jesus, but you also need to add this or add that. This is so important. Maturity and completeness are found in Christ alone. Thank you. <laughs> you're not missing anything. 
You're not lacking anything, brother or sister. How, is that good news this morning? In fact, Peter, Peter put it this way. If you're taking notes, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. As his, speaking of Jesus, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You don't need to go looking anywhere else. You don't need to go looking everywhere. All you need is in Jesus Christ. It's found in him. It's all about Jesus. It's that simple, guys. It is that simple. Paul's reminding them of the simplicity of having a relationship, abiding in Jesus Christ. You're complete in him. All you need is him. You have nothing missing from your life. The life we have in him cannot be improved upon. It's the, it's the, is it the greatest life? Isn't walking with Jesus the greatest life? It is. Life starts to work. You start to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what your word says, and you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to, do, to help you to do what he's called you to do. Life starts to work, man. It's like, wow, thank you. Lord, you promised a life abundant, and this is pretty radical, what you're doing. The way I did it before was jacked up. Because it was according to my own wisdom, my own understanding, the things I picked up, the traditions of men, the things I got fed in school, the things I got fed from friends, the things I got fed from the media. And then you come to know Jesus personally, and it is, it is, isn't it glorious? And you realize, I'm not lacking anything. I am complete. It's the same root word used in verse 9, fullness, as the word complete. You are the total package in him. In Jesus Christ this morning, everything there is to God is in Jesus, and you have everything you need in him, in the Lord. This is a big deal, guys. It's a big deal, not only because of the false teachers that were promoting their junk, that you're not complete, you're not full, you can go, there's deeper stuff you need to find out, but because of our own hearts. As Christians, there can be sometimes we think, you know what, there's something missing. There's something lacking. We can sometimes think that. Anybody ever have that? You're like, oh, man. And what do we do? What do we do? We can sometimes try spiritual gimmicks. We can go to a spiritual guru, church hop from one place to another, thinking there's something lacking, bounce around, something's got to be missing. But listen, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you feel like something's missing, can I just stand upon the word of God and say nothing is? Nothing's missing. If you are an, listen, if you, are an un, if you don't know Jesus personally this morning and you feel like something's missing, there is something missing. It's Jesus. He's missing from your life. That's, the emptiness can only be filled by him. What you're thirsting for and what you're trying to fill the thirst with will never satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy that thirst within your heart. And you come to him this morning, and you receive Jesus Christ. But for those of us who know him and you're feeling that way, listen, Paul says, God says, you are complete in him. And I know there's people, I tell them, I, I share with them, you know, listen, it's, it's just read your Bible and pray. It's that simple. And you know what they say? It can't be that simple. It can't, it's, no, it's got to be more complex than that. And, and people say, Mike, are you down on books? I'm not down on books. I'm not down on reading and learning. The problem is we've gotten so far away from the scriptures that we're living off what other people give you hand-me-downs. You know what I'm saying? You're living on supplements. How, how well would you do physically if all you took is a multivitamin all year long? That's it. Multi I don't need no food. How would you do after a while? Terrible, right? You, be, you begin to deteriorate physically. You begin to have some problems. We need to be nourished. We're nourished with the Word of God. And some of us, and, and I'm encouraging you, I love you. Supplements are good. They are a supplement, but it doesn't, it doesn't take the place of this right here, of spending time with Jesus every day, reading your Bible and praying and allowing Him to speak to your heart. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And then you get to learn the truth. And what does the truth do? It sets you free. And then when the junk comes your way, you're like, whoa, whoa, time out, bro. 
Time out, Chica. The Bible doesn't say that. Who told you that? It's my Bible says the book says this. The book says I'm to forgive. I am to, I am to not allow bitterness to grow in my heart. I'm to turn the other cheek. That's what the book says. And you begin to learn and you walk with Jesus and you take that step of faith to do what he says and you experience his power in a special way, his resurrection power within your life. And it's not gimmicks. But listen, some of us, we live on what's coming in our inbox. Or our text. I get a verse texted to me every day. Oh, I already read this one. I don't need that one. I already know that one. Some of you are laughing what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? But we need to be nourished with the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what proceeds from the mouth of God. Like how often do you eat? Do you eat once a month? Do you eat once a month? Once a week? We eat, we, we eat, right? Pretty much every day, correct? But spiritually, we need to be nourished. Again, how much more spiritually? I mean, how often do you take a bath? Do you, how often do you shower, bathe? Every day, thank you. I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. I don't want to be stinky. How much more do we need to be washed with the water of the Word of God? We're cleansed, right? So we're not stinky. Are you with me still? I'm way off. I know. Let's get back. Verse 10, right at the end. So you're complete in Jesus, and then he tells us, he reminds us again of who Jesus is, who is the head of all principality and power. If Jesus is the head, what does that mean? He's ruler. He's, he's on the top, right? He's the best. He's the greatest. We learned earlier in chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus is the head of the church. We learned later in this chapter 1, 1 somewhere. 119, Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. And now we read here, he's the head of all principality and power. Is he number one in your life this morning? Is Jesus number one? Is he the one that's ruling and reigning? Is he on the throne of your heart this morning? On the throne of my heart this morning? And so what do you say about the person and work of Jesus Christ? And being connected to Jesus, we're abiding in him. We have everything we need. And when our life is submitted to him, our good shepherd, what begins to happen? Our lives thrive and abound under our shepherd's care. He's good at shepherding our lives, gang. Amen? And so, verse 11, in him, who's him? In Jesus, you were also circumcised. <gasps> we were? If, if your kid's here this morning and you want to know what that means, ask mom and dad. Okay? We'll talk about the verse in a minute. In him you were also circumcised. What were we circumcised with? With the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. How did this happen? By the circumcision of Christ. And Paul keeps going on. It's a nice run-on sentence. Buried with him. Who's him? Jesus in baptism. In which you also were raised with him. Who's him? Jesus. How? Through faith in the working of God who raised him. Who's him? Jesus from the dead. I love this. Verse 11. Let me draw your attention there. In Jesus, specifically when you put your faith and trust in him, when you became connected to him, a few things happened, correct? You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, correct? We become part of a family. Isn't it beautiful? We have a new family, correct? You guys like the family you got? Or you better get used to this family. We're going to be together all eternity, okay? <laughs> Time to start getting along, man. We become part of a family. New, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes, takes residence in us, new desires, new power, new strength. And Paul says something else happened. Look what it says to me. Let's read the verse. In him you were also, so all these things happened when you gave your life to Jesus, something else, something also happened. And he says you were also circumcised. And that means to cut around or to remove. And you guys remember, you guys know your Bibles. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign between God and the children of Israel. And so when that male baby boy, eight days old, would be circumcised, it was symbolic of being separate, set apart for God and Him alone. The problem that happened in Israel, you guys know what happened? Something that was to speak of a spiritual reality in their lives of being set apart for the Lord, something happened. They began to trust in circumcision that that's what made them right with God. When you're eight days old, can you say yes or no? No, don't let this happen to me. No. But they began to trust in a ritual. They began to trust in something other than a relationship with the true and the living God. And it happens today, doesn't it? There are those that trust in baptism, that that makes you right with God. Listen, if you get baptized and you don't walk with the Lord and you're living in darkness and continuing to live in unrepentant, willful, habitual sin, guess what? That baptism meant nothing. You were just wet. I mean, I love you, but that's the reality. Or if you're saying, I was, I was raised in the church. I'm trusting in my church membership. That will not save you. That, will, that doesn't make you right with God. Only by putting your faith and trust, you and you alone, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, only he can save you alone. <laughs> Only one, one died on the cross for you. A church didn't die on the cross for you. Jesus did. And Paul speaks here, though, because there were those that were saying what? Remember the Judaizers? Remember the Judaizers? They, they were this band of false teachers that were traveling around, and they often followed the Apostle Paul to where he was after he left, and he would tell the church, they would tell the church, oh, it's great you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But Jesus was a Jew. Therefore, if you really want to be right with God, you need to get circumcised and you need to keep the law. That's a problem, isn't it? Now, you're, now you are adding to the complete work of Jesus Christ. You're adding your own works when it is by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Paul's also addressing those legalists here. He's addressing those that buy into philosophy, those that buy into legalism, specifically Jewish legalism. And he's saying, listen, you experienced a circumcision, believers. Don't let anyone tell you you need to be circumcised. You've already been circumcised. Did you see what he says here? He says, with the circumcision, this cutting away without hands. That means it's not physical. That means it's, if it's not physical, it's spiritual. It's supernatural that happened here. You didn't do it yourself. You didn't have someone do it for you. By putting off, I love this word putting off, it speaks of casting off or putting off a dirty garment. And he says here, he speaks of what it is, the body of the sins of the flesh. That old me, that old Mike, our old nature, the, it's called the old man in the scriptures. That part of us, that all, all that part of us wants to do is sin, sin, sin. <laughs> to, to walk at life after the flesh. You know what I'm talking about? And we are to reckon that old man dead because he was crucified with Jesus Christ. And Paul's reminding us of that. That it's Jesus. Jesus did this removal. He did the circumcising. We've experienced a spiritual circumcision, a supernatural circumcision in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're no longer dominated by the flesh. Isn't that glorious? There's been a change in our lives. Jesus dealt with the old Mike, the old me, and I'm to reckon him dead. The problem is we put the old man on a rehab program sometimes. Remember what Jesus said? We're to, to deny ourselves and take up our cross quarterly. How often? Daily. That old me, the self-life that wants to get back into the driver's seat, that wants to lead the way, that, 
that is totally against the Lord. We're to put him to death daily, to reckon him dead, because he is dead. It's Jesus who cut him off. That's the idea here. Or put off and put away from us, like an, like an old stinky garment. And isn't that what the flesh is? It's a stinky garment. My flesh is just as rotten today as the day I got saved. No amens? Is your flesh getting better and better? It's not. But there's a, there's a new life that's been birthed within me and within you. And we don't strengthen the flesh. The flesh is rotten. We strengthen the new life that's in us. We walk in the newness of life. The life of Christ that's been birthed within you and within me. We feed that new life and we give that new life opportunities to grow and, and to walk and to, to, to exercise. And we go, wow, look what the Lord's doing through my life. And it's because of him. Paul's reminding us, listen, it wasn't, some, it wasn't some circumcision that made you right with God. Jesus is the one who circumcised you. And throughout the Old Testament, it speaks of a circumcision of the heart in reality. That's what should happen. No longer walking life in life after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so there's been this setting free. We're to be dominated by the Spirit. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'm going to read it real quick. Philippians 3.3. 3. I love this. Paul says, this is in light of those false teachers, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Did you catch that? That is so good. Paul's like, listen, they're trying, these people are trying to tell you they're the circumcision. You know who the circumcision is? It's those who what? Who worship God in the Spirit rejoice and celebrate Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. These guys are saying you got to be circumcised, and Paul says you've already been circumcised. Verse 12, buried. Buried with him. The old Mike, the old me, died with Jesus in baptism when I was dunked under the water. There's a, whole, there's a picture here of what happened in our lives spiritually with baptism. If you have not been baptized, someone already came up to me for a service. If you've not been water baptized and you want to get baptized, would you come and, and uh, we'll get you baptized? We're going to probably do it in the next couple weeks now. So pretty stoked about that. But when you get baptized, what happens? Pastor, you held me under a little bit too long. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Well, some of you maybe. No. <laughs> when you get dunked under the water, it's, it's, again, it's a symbolic, it's symbolic of something that happened internally. My old man, the old me, died with Jesus Christ. All those sins buried, all my sins buried, forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. And when you come up out of the water, it speaks of walking in the newness of life. And I want everyone to know I'm a new creation. I belong to Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And Paul reminds us we've been buried with him in baptism. We were raised with Jesus. How? Look what it says. Through faith, simply by trusting in what? The working of God and God's powerful work. How powerful? God raised Jesus from the dead. That's good news, isn't it? The old man is dead. Don't resurrect him. Don't resurrect him. And so we identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. For you Greek students here, I love, it speaks of, in Greek, with him. We see with him, with him, with him. It means co-buried. It means co-raised. It means co-made alive. Why? Because it's in connection with Jesus Christ. We didn't do it. Apart from him, we can do nothing at all. And listen, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is residing in you and residing in me, available to each and every one of us that we might live a different kind of life. A different kind of life. Listen, the Christian life is to be marked by the supernatural. I'm not talking about supernaturally weird. You know supernaturally weird people. Just kooky. You're like, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't look like Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's not to be marked by the natural, by our flesh, by our own wisdom, by our own strength. In fact, that was the, the main reason that, that Paul preached Christ and him crucified, that the people of Corinth would not have, God's people would not have any confidence in the flesh, but in the power of God, in God's power. 
in his wisdom, in his strength. And the Lord's eyes go to and fro. His eyes are still going to and fro. He's looking to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Lord, here's my heart. Do what you want through my life. And you begin to walk in those things. You begin to experience his power. And it's glorious. And you recognize it's him. It's not me. The typical response is to to get angry, to get bitter, to get whatever. And it's, Lord, it's your joy. It's your peace. It's your rest. And so it's the power of God that changes us, not the power of water, by the way. It's not water that changes us. It's his power. Listen, do you have faith in the working of God this morning? It began that way. It began that way for us. That's how we begin, right? With baptism, when, when we've been baptized into the body of Christ, when we, we came into the family of God, we put our faith in his working to rescue us, to save us, to forgive us. But what about now? How about in your marriage this morning? How about with the issues you have with your family, with your kids, with your parents? Are you trusting in the power of God? He has power to help you. Do you know that this morning? You do it his way, according to his word, and you step out, and what's he going to do? He's going to show himself in a special way in your life. If you choose to do it in your own wisdom, your own strength, guess what? It's going to be the flesh. It's going to be a work of the flesh. And flesh stinks, doesn't it? Does the flesh stink? Do you have faith in the working of God? Well, look at verse 13. Where did we come from? And you, put your name in there. And you, Mikey, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Is that good news? That's, that's Altuve going deep. It's good news, isn't it? But wait, there's more. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Isn't that beautiful? That's good news. Amen. <laughs> so good. And so Paul reminds us, and you, you are dead. He's, Paul said this to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2 also. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Flatliners. Are you with me? Physically, we had a pulse. But spiritually, listen, we're dead until we come to know Jesus Christ. But then when we invite him into our hearts, now we're online spiritually, so to speak. Does that make sense? We're connected. We understand. We understand where we came from, where we're going, what life's about. We're able to understand the word of God as well. It's not all Greek to me anymore. You with me? We were dead. What's trespasses, by the way? Sins. They're sins, all right. Trespass is God draws a line and you cross over and you don't even give, give a rip. You know what I'm saying? You see, don't touch the wet paint. What, what do people do? That shows us something about our hearts, doesn't it? And sins. And sins are missing the mark, hamartia in the Greek. It means to miss God's best. This is such a great reminder this morning. Do you guys ever blow it? Don't be lying in church. You ever blow it? We blow it, don't we? We mess up. We were once dead in those things. We lived life after our fallen carnal nature, the uncircumcision of our flesh, the old me. And Jesus did what? Look what he did. He made us alive spiritually. It's all in connection with him, together with him. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has enabled all of this to happen. He's forgiven you how many of your trespasses? Is that good news? I hope that frees up some of us this morning. Because some of us deal with our past, condemnation, 
stupid things we did and said. And the Bible says, God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk no longer according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. When we take communion, you guys know, we take it every Sunday, by the way. When does this church do communion? Four o'clock every Sunday. When we take communion, we're reminded of how glorious the new covenant is, aren't we? And one of the components of the new covenant is that God said, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. It means your sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is good news, gang. It's not something we've done. It's not some ritual we did to make this happen. It's because of what Jesus did for us. He's cleansed us and he's given us the power to live a new life. Look at verse 14. This is so good. Jesus complete, what does it mean to wipe out? That's what you do on waves, pastor. You wipe out. (laughs) Sometimes. Not often. Sometimes. That's pride. It is. I repent. Jesus died for that. Having wiped out, Jesus complete, means to completely remove or erase the handwriting of requirements. Where do we find that? We find that in the law, the Ten Commandments, written with the finger of God, which pointed out our shortcomings, right? The law points out that we've messed up, that we've blown it, not only in actions, but attitudes too, right? Right? The law was weighing us down, right? Peter said in Acts chapter 15, when you put the law on somebody, after they've given their life to Jesus, and you put the law on them to be circumcised, these rituals on them, that's that's a burden no one can carry. Because Jesus lifted, this is what it speaks of, it speaks of him lifting this weight. He lifted the law. He lifted up the law. He's taken it out of the way. He removed it. The law was pinned where? To the cross at Calvary with Jesus. And the law is good, is it not? It is, isn't it? It's from God's heart to ours. Holy, righteous standards. But it cannot make us right with God. Keeping the law cannot make you right with God. Why? Because we blow it, don't we? We can't keep, we're lawbreakers, yes? Are we lawbreakers? Uh, Let me give you an example. You ever seen those signs on the street? They're white, they have numbers on them. 45. 55, 55 is another one. Does that sign change your speeding heart? (laughs) That fix you? Oh, that sign's going to fix me, man. Does the sign fix you? The law shows us. The law is like a mirror showing me my condition. That's the intent of the law, right? Paul said to the Galatians, the law is our schoolmaster to point us to Jesus, to show us our need for forgiveness, to show us our need for his work of fixing us and cleansing us and helping us. The law serves a great and radical purpose. Shows us our need for Jesus and when we surrender to him, How glorious. We're we're no longer under the tutor's tutelage. Is that what it would be? No, we no longer need a tutor. I don't know if that's how you say it or not. The requirements, the handwriting of requirements are done away in Jesus. This is so beautiful. We cannot keep the righteous demands of the law, God's holy standard, but Jesus did. He perfectly and completely satisfied the law. He never sinned. Perfect sacrifice. He canceled our debt. He paid for our debt with his holy life. Jesus did it all. He did what we could never do. Let me remind us, Romans 7, 6 tells us we are delivered from the law. Romans 6, 14 tells us we are no longer under the law, but grace. Does that mean we now live lawless lives? I am saved by grace, man. I can do whatever I want. Do you know that people teach that today, by the way? In fact, that's something that Jude addressed. You guys remember Jude? You guys remember Jude? Little postcard, if you're going too fast, you're going to miss it. Where he hit, like, 
like those little Texas towns you're cruising through. What happened to Jude? Jude was like, listen, I, wanna, I, I, I was planning on writing to you about our common salvation. I wanted to write to you about forgiveness and, and heaven. and Oh, but I found it necessary to talk to you about contending for the faith because there's some creeps, those that creep in. That's how I remember it, creeps. Those that creep in and turn God's grace into lasciviousness or God's grace into lewdness. In other words, they say, it's okay. You've been saved by grace. Now you can live any way you want. It's okay to live any kind of life you want to. You know, that's a false teaching, by the way. And there are plenty of churches that teach that out there. Grace should be teaching us something, Paul said to Titus, denying ungodliness, living a life that's holy, looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Grace teaches us how to live. Not to live a, a use God's grace as a doormat to to swipe our dirty whatever on, stuff on. Our obedience now is out of love for Jesus and as we're led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one showing us, leading us, and guiding us. So beautiful. And look at what else happened. Having disarmed. What's it mean to disarm? There was a little kid this morning that was right. He answered every question. He was like eight, I think. He, had, like, he was so dialed in, he's like, to take away the weapons. All right, way to go, dude. Disarm, take away the weapons. Strip of what? Of principalities and powers, demonic power and authority. Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them. He put the fallen angels and the demons on display in a bad way for all to see when he victoriously, look what it says, triumphing over them in it, when he victoriously rose again from the dead. Which meant total defeat for the kingdom of darkness. That's awesome. The same imagery is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, this victory parade, Jesus leading the way. So awesome. His death, burial, and resurrection, a testimony of his power over the entire demonic realm. Listen, this morning, if you've accepted Jesus, you were dead, now you're alive. The old you is buried, and the new you is risen with Jesus. Your sins and your lawless deeds, he will remember no more. No charges can be held against you. You're forgiven. You're declared not guilty, justified in God's eyes. The very righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to your account, accredited to you, imputed to you. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Is that good news? And we can rest this morning. Do you know you can rest this morning in your position? You're complete in him. We can rest in his provision. We, and you know what? We need not fear the enemy and his squad. Why? Because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. What, you know what that means? Don't elevate the devil. Resist him steadfast in the faith. As John reminded the church, you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one because of your trust in Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. You belong to him. These guys that are coming saying, no, you need something else. You're not full. You're not complete. They're a bunch of bozos. In fact, look at the next verse and we'll finish right here. This is so important. Paul's saying this. Why? Verse 16 because there's also these legalists that are saying what? Let no, he says, so let no one judge you. It means judge to the point of condemnation. They're condemning you. Let no one condemn you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or, what does your Bible say? 
Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anyone condemn you in number one, in what? In food, what you eat or what you don't eat. Whether you have a kosher diet or a non-kosher diet. Whether you are a South Beach diet or you... (laughs) Does that translate in the Spanish translation thing? (laughs) Listen... In fact, in the last days, God says that's going to ramp up people judging you for what you eat. 1 Timothy 4. You can check it out later. And Paul said everything is to be accepted, to be eaten. When it's accepted with what? With thanksgiving. It's sanctified with the word of God and prayer. So you want to eat tofu surprise? Thank you, Lord. You want to eat roadkill? Hallelujah. Go for it, bro. It's sanctified with what? With the word of God and prayer. It's okay. Don't let anyone come down on you. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone judge you in drink what liquid you consume. And yes, we do have liberty to have a glass of wine or an alcoholic beverage, but we're not free to get drunk. Drunkenness is a sin. It's not a disease. It's not like you're going to walk by the bar and someone sneezes on you and now you're sick. It's a, it's a work of the flesh, the Bible says. I don't drink. Not just because I'm a leader and there's requirements for leaders in the church, but I've seen what happens, the damage it does. And I don't believe anything good comes from it, personally. And I would say, why don't you get filled with the Spirit, man? Not how close I can get to the edge. Well, how many, because people come to me, Pastor, how many can I have? If I, if I have two, I get buzzed. So what if I go to one and three, qu- one and... S- I'm like, dude, why don't you get away from that and get, see how much you can get filled with the Holy Spirit? How much you give of Him, to, how much does He have of your life? You're not going to make a difference. In somebody's life, tipping them back. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go witness. Really? Okay. But coolness... That's a different Bible study. I need to shut up. Otherwise, I'm going to start to judge. Don't let anyone judge you, including your pastor. Don't let anyone judge you regarding a festival, what you celebrate, a feast day, or a new moon. There's the beginning of their months in the Jewish calendar were considered the new moon. Or this is so good. I'm so glad this is in here and that we're, we're looking at this right now. Don't let anyone judge you regarding Sabbaths. So good. Because the Sabbath was given as a sign between God and the nation of Israel. If you want to get those verses, come see me afterwards. Because there's people out there that want to lay a trip on you and say, oh, you worship on Sunday? You're worshiping the God of the sun. And I'll say, where do you worship? Saturday? You worship Saturn? (laughs) That's joking, to break the ice. Then I point him here. (laughs) But we had a guy come a couple of weeks ago, a couple Wednesdays in a row telling us we need to keep the Sabbath. He's got his hand out. That won't fly here. Why? Because we're not under the Sabbath as Christians. Romans 14. You want to esteem one day above the other? Hallelujah. You want some, another person esteems every day? I want to worship on every day, by the way. And, I, and don't get me wrong. I think we should have a day of rest where we just chill out. Where you get, man, refocused on the Lord to give your body a chance to rest. Don't get me wrong on that. Like, I think that's a good thing to take a day of rest. But don't lay some trip on me and say, I'm worshiping on the wrong day because I'm worshiping on Sunday. The early church worshiped on Sunday. Study the book of Acts, bro. Check it out. First day of the week on Sunday. That's the day I want to worship. We'll worship every day. We are free from all of the law. 
Do you know that this morning? We're free from all of the law. Because why? Look at verse 17. This is so good. Stay with me. This is so good. Which are, these things are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. The reality is Jesus. These things are pictures that point forward. These things are things that point us to Jesus, but they're a shadow. Listen, rules and rituals don't bring you closer to God. Do you know keeping one day holier than another doesn't enhance your standing with God? Whether you eat something or don't eat something doesn't bring you closer to God. You're as close to God as possible because he came to live in your heart. Does he get any closer? Does he leave you? Oh no, Mike is eating carne asada again. I'm out of here. Just want to make sure you're still with me. You're complete in him. These things, keeping these things are not, doesn't make you righteous. Or it doesn't keep you righteous. Why? Because righteousness is a free gift given to you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. These things, take a message for me. I'm on a roll. These things are pictures of the work of Jesus and ultimately of the rest that we have in him. These things are symbolic. They're not essential. The substance, the reality is Jesus Christ. And please listen, legalistic people, religious people, misled people, misguided people, people with covenant confusion. You know what covenant confusion is? You think you're still under the old covenant, but as Christians, we're under the new covenant. Those people... You know what they do? They embrace shadows. They're kissing shadows. Can you imagine if I went home from church today and there's Tanya looking as beautiful as ever. Tanya's my wife, by the way. (laughs) She's looking as beautiful as I I roll in and I say, hey, babe, you're looking so good. I love you. And I get down. I start kissing her shadow. (laughs) Come here. I I love you. What would you say? Dude's nuts, dude's nuts, get him out of the pastorate. <laughs> Correct? You know, that's, that's what God thinks when people get caught up in feast days and festivals and these things. You're kissing the shadow and not the Savior. You're embracing the shadow. You're not embracing Jesus. You're complete in him. You have him. He's with you no matter where you go. You're never alone. And the best is yet to come when we see him face to face. How glorious. It's all about Jesus. You are complete in him. You need nothing else. Don't leave that simplicity. Keep looking to him. Stay close to Jesus. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much again this morning that that our lives are in you.